Welcome to Macedonian Postcards. Dobrodojdovte vo Makedonske razglednica. My name is David Belidis. Ja sum Dragi Spasovski. And we're your hosts for this show. It's brought to you by Izvor Music. You can look at our website at izvormusic.com. That's spelled I-Z-V-O-R, music.com. Today's podcast is from Eastern Macedonia. In the song is Stani Bresine Stojane. some of you the audience and it might be well known to others but there's not much known about the song itself and I do apologize for my ignorance today because even myself I do not know much about the song the first time I heard the song was uh, we uh, recorded with Chalgia for the Radio Skopje production with the Chalgia this song was recorded by one of the sister Isyanovskis There were four of them, Katica, Tushka, Verica, and Slavica Isyanovski. So I heard uh, the recording of this song with Chalgia, with uh, one of those three sisters who were actively recorded. The fourth one, the youngest one, Slavica Isyanovska, was not. She recorded when she was young, she, when she was a young teenager. And then for some reason she did not do any recordings uh, later on in her life. Which one is better interpretation? You cannot compare interpretations with two different singers. Why? Because each one of them has their own specifications of the interpretation, of the pronunciation, of uh, approach to the song, emotional expression. And besides, one of them is with urban instruments, the other one with chalgia, and it's up to the taste. Whoever, you know, prefers chalgia, of course, would lean over toward uh, Lucianoska's recording. So what's about the song? It expresses motherly love toward the son, which is, you know, typical Balkan thing. Mother always worries about the son for his well-being, and that well-being is to find a nice girl, to get married, to have a family, and that's just about it. And of course, you know, later on, the conflicts between the mother-in-law and daughter-in-law is not foreseen <laughs> at the beginning when mother is planning. But, you know, that doesn't happen very often. Uh, way back, it was very disrespectful not to respect uh, the elders, the in-laws uh, in the house. And also, it applies also to the men to 
not to respect his wife's parents. So it was kind of a vice versa, a mutual approach of respecting their parents. So to go back to the song, the mother, you know, ladies, they talk just like exchange experiences and words being spread around. I don't want to use the word gossip, but just talking. So, and she is advising her, her son to get up and watch around because, you know, outside of the dance, there is a big dance and at the dance, everybody is dancing. And uh, next to each girl, there is a young man dancing, which signifies a kind of a relationship or uh, love approaching with a girl when you dance next to her or when a girl dance next to a young man. That's one of the first signs expressing their love for the, the other person. So, but she says there is a young man next to every girl and there is two young men next to your girlfriend, the one that he has set his eyes on. And he said, uh, not to worry, mom, because, you know, if she is willing to do that, I'll get close to and get her younger sister, who probably was as beautiful as her older sister. So he always found us, immediately found a solution. So again, this is a song where the motherly love being expressed for the son. There's not so many, there's a lot, but not so many songs where love, motherly love is being expressed as a concern for their sons. So in another occasion, we might, you know, talk about these two different kinds of love in the Macedonian ontological recordings and songs. Let me ask you a question about that dance situation. I had heard that in some places or in some older times that the line dances were constructed with the women at the front and then the men at the back, and they weren't interspersed with each other, whether they were interested in each other or not. Was that ever a tradition in Macedonia? Yeah, once upon a time, yeah, it was a tradition, and that was being called dvoina lesa, double line. You're right, in front, the ladies would do a dance separately, and in the back, the guys, the men, would form their own line. And even if the ladies, if the dance was only for the ladies, the ladies were not supposed, in quotation mark, to lead the dance. So the dance would always would have been led by a brother or a very, very close relative, or if there's not such person, a very close family male friend next to the leading girl. So the man is leading the dance. And very often when I used to teach dancing, especially here in, in the States, way back in the 70s, I was advising the people, the ladies, not to lead the dance, to let a man lead the dance. But you know, some of them were not able to understand why. And, you know, probably their dignity was being hurt and their pride was hurt. And they would not even listen to me. They would not listen to me because they would, and I told them that's the way, that's the tradition. Ladies do not lead the dance, even, you know, as I said, even that's a ladies' dance, a man will lead the dance and they, you know, form a ladies' line behind him. So you are right. You are right when you said that, you know, way back. But 
that's way back, you know. We do not exist from 100 years ago. We exist many, many, many centuries. That policy was a common policy, but I don't think it, it was applied everywhere and mm-hmm. every time. Like if you go to one of those saint celebrations to the monasteries carrying their, the name of the, of the saint, which is up in a hill, and there's no parents, usually later on in the afternoon, the elders would go back home and the youngsters would, you know, remain there until dusk. So there's no guards in the back watching them. Of course, you know, they would mix. Who can stop love? Is there a barrier to, ex- to express uh, one's love? No. There's always a way to find, you know, a way to get close to the beloved one or the one that you want to get closer relationship. So this is a dance, which is usually in the middle of the village or some kind of outside of the village gathering. It doesn't say in the song, but it just, you know, understood that it's one of those dances. Usually, you know, weekends, Saturdays or Sundays, usually. They gather in the middle of the village. The gaida player, you know, comes out, plays the gaida, and the youngsters, you know, come outside. The elders would take their little stools, would sit in the back and do some kind of a work, handwork, and watch, you know, the, the event and enjoying the, the music and dance. So this is one of these kind of events. You know, Vaskeleva was my, besides my mother, was my lifeline in singing. and. A few others, you know, male singers too. So, but what I admire the most, what amazed me most, most about Vasca is she had a vast repertory of songs. She had songs with range down, as we say, in below zero and up in the hundred degrees, meaning a range of starting with low note and getting up in the air, and then with all these fine ornaments, like... She gets up to a very high note, and she does a nice, beautiful descending ornamentation and gets all the way down to the bottom of the scale. Mm -hmm. And she was a great song collector. She was collecting songs from all over Macedonia. You mean that when you say a collector, did she go out uh, into the villages or into the hills or something and seek out singers and learn their songs? Is that how she collected them? In one way, way, yes. Because Vasca was a person who was very close to the people, to the commoners. She was not, what should I say, a high society person, you know, who placed herself on the highest level of the scale and never looked down. No, she was, as we say, narodna žena, meaning people's person, coming from the people and being all the time among the common people. So she did not see herself as a queen of the song, of the singing Macedonian songs. She just remained to be Vaska as she always was. So she was going to villages. She was going to these monastery gatherings. She was part of that. And people loved, you know, to give her songs that they knew from way back, that they learned from who knows from whom. Because they knew she, she, she would, would do a good job yeah, in yeah, the yeah. interpretation. And, and, and she did. And she did. When I said 
She had a skill of placing all these different kind of emotional approach and emotional expression in all these different songs. She was connecting her voice, her soul, her heart with the, the context of the song. And maybe that's why these songs came out very strong, not only just as a song, as a pleasant or unpleasant song, but as an interpretation. So this is why the Queen Elizabeth, once when she performed at Albert Hall with Tanitz, Churchill and the Queen personally came and shook hands with her and you know, congratulating her for that. So she performed in England with Tanitz and met the, the Queen and Churchill? Yes. And she even, she had autographs that somebody asked her, you know, to, to lend them to her so they can, you know, publicize it. And she said, they never gave it back to me. Ah. Yeah. She said, she said, well, people can have it. It's okay. It's okay. You know, I'm fine with that as long as, you know, they're being used for a good purpose, which most probably they were intention. So she was a people's singer. She was a people's singer and she remained all her life and she passed away as a people singer. Not very many people know Vasca's life. Everybody thinks that she was a famous queen of Macedonian song. And she was the happiest woman person in the world. But as she said in one of her interviews and in one of her songs, people think that I am the happiest person, but they don't see the sorrow. They can't see, they don't know the sorrow being hidden behind the song.
she said that in the interview, was she talking about the sorrow that created the context of the song, or was she talking about her own personal sorrow that was kind of filling up the song, her own no, personal? She stuff. was she was talking about her life in general, her own life. Vaskilieva, she comes from a from a poor family, not poor poor family, but you know, kind of below medium class. Her father was the famous Todor Boshkovsky. He was a Gaida player, and he played with Tanets since day one of Tanets' existence. And later on, he also joined uh, the radio orchestra. She was very poor. She she married uh, this guy, uh, Christopher, or Kitze, as they called him, Iliev. And he was uh, unfortunately sick from tuberculosis. Oh, wow. Her life was very harsh. She said, <laughs> one day my father felt so sorry, so sorry for me. And he came and she said, actually, in my family, there was a lot of singing. My father sang. My aunt, Bonda Dimishkova, uh, also sang. Oh, that was her aunt? Yes, it was her aunt. From her father's side? Uh, her father's sister? I mean, it must be from her father's family. She said, my mother was also a very, very uh, good singer. She said, I don't know whether my voice or her voice uh, were better sounding. But she said uh, she, was, uh, she was a family woman and she never, she never sang in front of my father. She didn't mention, she didn't say why her mother was not singing in uh, front of her father. But she said she always uh, sang whenever she was weaving. She always sang when she was knitting. Whenever she was embroidering, which immediately reminded me of my mother. Yeah, of course, of course. Yes, that's, yeah. that's, I, well, I guess, you know, that was, you know, some kind of a unwritten tradition in the family to sing. Or maybe that was the time when they were working, they would not, you know, employing their brain because the hands were going automatically on their own when they were knitting or when you do the weaving. And she she said that she learned a lot of songs from her mother, yeah. father. And she said, uh, but I did not sing much in the family. I was uh, just enjoying my mom singing. Oh, and also she she had another sister who she said uh, did not really uh, do a lot of singing, but her, but her daughter was uh, a good singer. This is the sister's daughter, so it'd be Vasca's niece? Vasca's niece. Okay. Who I also know because Vasca was born in the neighborhood where in the neighborhood where I grew up. In Sudanabara? 
No, 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 no. We're talking Scorpio. Okay. okay. Hey, you forget that I, I was only four when we you're had, right, You're right, I did forget. <laughs> when <came> to Skopje. <laughs> and actually, that's the same neighborhood where Lyubka Kolarovska, the wife of Atanas Kolarovsky, was born. So, so you were neighbors with Vaska? Yes. N- neighbors. The, the next block. The down, ne- the, down the street or yeah, something. Yeah, down the street. Yeah, Not yeah. really neighbors. I don't remember Vaska as a kid from that neighborhood. You know, I remember Vaska later on as being Vaska Ilieva, the singer. Right. Because she was married. She, she left, you know, that neighborhood. We're talking about 1950s, 55, 50, maybe 54, when was the first time when I saw Vaska singing a live for the May Day gatherings at the fortress in Skopje. They were, you know, in ce- celebrating the May Day a whole week. There was an open stage and all different folk dancing groups were performing and Tanis was performing and also was a, an evening when only the singers who were employed by Radioscopia would have an evening uh-huh. performance. Okay. So I was going to mention that too. And then, you know, her father took her to, for audition to Tanis and she said, they didn't even rehearse, nothing. She went, sang. she went there and they said, okay, <laughs> you're in. Yeah, you can sing. No, you can sing. And she, she said, the very first song I sang with my father was Niko, Niko Meyanjiko and Shtoimala Kusmet Stamina. Uh-huh. She said they did accept me immediately, but the problem was I had to go on touring with with Tanitz, and my husband was very jealous, Uh and he would not let me go. And at that time, he was sick. He was in the hospital, in a sanatorium for tuberculosis. And she faced another problem. And she said, I put everything in a scale, and I had to go because uh, we didn't have any source of, of, of income. Of income. Yeah. And she said, okay, and I decided to go. And the problem was, right after, you know, I stepped in Tanitz, there was a monthly long, one month long touring throughout Yugoslavia. And I had to go. And she said, kids understood, found out that I was gone. And she said, every place I went, there was a telegram. Come back or I'm going to divorce you. Come back or I'm going to divorce you. And she continued with Tanitz for, I think, four years. Yes, she worked there. Uh, no, actually, uh, right after, you know, she was in there, he, he came to Tanitz and she said that at that time we did not have much of clothes. We had a black skirt with a kind of a, a, a white blouse. So not a, not a costume or anything? No, no, she was wearing costumes, you know. But that was, that was kind of a uniform going to work. 
Oh, oh, so not when she was on stage. Not on stage, yeah. no, no, on stage she was. She was dressed up. Dressed up in, uh, in so traditional did you just folk say that Did you just say that her husband came to Tanitz? Came to Tanitz. So he got out of the sanatorium? He got out of the hospital. She, she was let go of the hospital. She, she got cured. He oh, he got, got cured? Yeah, he got oh, cured. Oh, so he didn't die of tuberculosis. No, 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 no. He didn't die. And she said, he took my uniform, which is the black skirt and the embroidered blouse, and went to Tanitz and threw literally in the face to the uh, Tanitz director and said, my wife is not, you know, to be a singer with you guys. And anyway, so to make the story short, she left. And then later on, she said, you know what? She said, I kind of uh, tested his, his uh, temper or feelings being again so much about uh, me participating in. She said, actually, I was employed. It was not just, you know, volunteering. No, she was making yeah, money. Yeah, yeah, she was employed. And she said, uh, you know what? Somebody from Tanitz came and I'm so scared now. <laughs> they said, I have to go because this is a state ensemble. It's not, you know, a, it's for my association. For country, right? Yeah, so, yeah. And I have to go and I have to go because they are planning to go to, in, to England and they need me. And they said, if you resist, they're going to arrest you. Arrest <laughs> her or arrest him? Arrest him. Oh, they're going to arrest yeah, she <laughs> Did she just make that up? Yes. She, oh, no <laughs> kidding. Good for her. <laughs> she, was, she was bluffing. And, and then she said, uh, and she said, actually, she said, you know, well, at that time, I don't know, he might even be, had been arrested because, you know, uh, it was in early communist time. But she said, there was none of that going around, but I made it up so I can just, you know, kind of push him back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he kind of, you uh, know, stepped, stepped back. And that was the time when she went to, to England, England with, with Tanitz. And coming back, you know, then she became popular. She became popular. After but, the English. Yes, but Kitsa never stopped being jealous. You know, her. that reminds me of, and I don't, I don't think I have the personnel right, but was it your brother or... I don't think it was your father who didn't want your mother to... My uncle. Your uncle. Okay, her brother. Yes, her mother's brother. brother. Yes. Does it it seems brother. like that, that was a fairly common attitude. Yeah, yes, you know, you know that's, what, that's what she said. She mentioned in the interview she had. This is exactly the time when my mother was, you know, trying to, to be taken, in quotation marks, to the radio scope right. uh, recording business. She said... At that time, no, to be Peachka, uh, which means a lady singer, mm -hmm. but Peachka in not in a good connotation of the word, mean being exposed to men watching you uh, and entertaining men in kafana and drunkards, which was not a, a rare case. Men sitting and drinking all night, and you know, five of them would get drunk, and it's enough only one not to have a decent behaving, right. and the reputation of the kafana is gone down the drain. Mm -hmm. So, and she said, no, it was not, you know, very popular, even though, you know, a few times I was asked, you know, to, uh, to sing with Nikola Badev and the band from Radioscopia to kafanas, I had to hold back myself for a longer while not to appear there because it was disgraceful to the, to the lady and the, and the men and the whole family. So it makes you wonder if how women who actually recorded had to be rebels in some way. They had to fight against 
this attitude of, of the men in their lives to be able to record it sounds like. Not necessarily, not necessarily, David. Like Mirved Belovska, but then again, Mirved Belovska, uh, we don't know much about Mirved Belovska. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, her life is still kind of incognito part. A mystery, huh? A mystery. But I don't think she was married. Or if she was, I don't know. Right, but I mean, she might have had a male relative that might have prevented her, or could have prevented her from recording in the same attitude that Vaska's husband and your mother's brother had. I don't know, because Vaska said at the same time when, the, when she got back to Radioscopia from Tanitz, she left Tanitz and she was employed by Radioscopia in 1954, something like that, 54, 55, I don't know. She said there was Mirved Belovska on the list of the regular employees. Another Makilarska. Blagavidets. Her brother, Blagavidets' brother, Karadjule. And Nikola Badev. So not Vaska. Vaska was at the same time uh-huh. employed. Okay. So and she said uh, there were no recordings at that time. We had to perform a live. So they didn't record those live performances. <laughs> no. Oh, what a shame, huh? No. So she said we had to get up sometimes at four o'clock to be there, you know, five o'clock, because that was at the time when Radioscopia would start their broadcasting in the air and. Usually, even, even now, when they open, you know, they, they start with, with uh, folk music. Uh, yeah, I remember when I was in Macedonia and I would get up at like, I don't know, six o'clock in the morning and turn on my little, I don't know what, I had a transistor, transistor radio yeah. at that time because I knew that they would be playing not a, not musica, musica at, that, yeah. at, at that hour. And I just wanted to hear that. So, yeah, and then she said, and then, then, you know, then you go probably 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock, and midday and evening. So it was unemployment, yeah. and you could not do any other plannings. And then she said, Tanitz insisted on having me back. And Blago Ivanovsky, who was the general manager of the folk department of Radioscopia, would not let her go. And she said, there was a constant kind of a tormenting me between Tanitz and, and Radioscopia. And- because they did not, they did not collaborate uh, was among themselves, you. and I was the victim in this kind of misunderstanding between these two. Oh, it doesn't sound like a misunderstanding. House. It sounds like a little war between the yeah, two of them. Yeah, and and she said, and finally I left both of them. After she left Tanitz and, and Radioscopia, 
I think it was uh, when she left Radio Skopje, something around 1957-58, something like that, when she became an independent professional singer. And she remained professional, independent singer, until her very last day. Well, what does that actually mean? Does, did she hire the musicians to work for her? Did she, she have contracts with Radio Skopje? Or how, does she, how does she live as an independent musician? That's exactly what it means, independent professional singer. No contracted singer, no contracts. If there's a contract, there'll be, you know, only for one project, right. or let's say a couple of projects, right. that's a contract with these professional singers. Or, let's say, a month of being engaged with certain band to perform uh, one of those hotels or tourist oh, like, locations. Yeah, like a residency. Yeah, residency. Artist in residence or something. Yes, something, something like that. And, you know, for concerts, like on special evenings, special Gathering. Uh, so she was available to be hired then. To be hired, but of she course. But called, she called her own shots. Or did, she, did she run her own business? No, not exactly her own business. You don't have to have your own business, this kind of, kind of mutual agreements and deals among the musicians and the singers, David. For instance, I'm, being enga- I'm a singer. I'm being engaged. Let's say somebody wants um, to have some kind of a special evening, and they engage me to be the singer, and they say, for that evening, we need five hours of entertainment. You find your own people that you would uh-huh. like to engage, and we cover, you know, the expenses for everybody. Or somebody says to a band leader, we have this upcoming big event. We need a good band, good entertainer. So we pay $500, and you take care of the rest of it. Right. So and they say, okay, who should we get for this kind of gathering? Vaskelieva or Badev, it depends. So or that, both, you know. Yeah, so that's, that's, a, that's a free, as we say, Slobodan Umetnik, free artist. By free artist or free singer or entertainer, meaning available by call. On call, you mean? On call. I guess what I'm trying to say is people would call her and she would agree to do it and they would pay her. There was no business manager that she had or somebody managing her, her She gigs. Later on, she had a business manager uh-huh. when she moved to Belgrade. Oh, she moved to Belgrade? Yeah, for some time she stayed in Belgrade and she did recordings with... Uh, uh, RTB. With Milenkovic. No, with Milenkovic band. Uh-huh. They did a lot of tourings over there and she even she recorded some records with that band. Huh. Yeah. I want to just back up for a second. So... She left Radio Skopje and Tana. She became an independent artist. Before that, I just want to make sure I understand this. Her mother, do we even know her mother's name? I don't know the name. But... Okay. So her mother never recorded. No, I told you, she was a housewife who I, I did know. singing in the house only. As Vasca said, her mother was probably shy. She never even sang in front of her, uh, her husband. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Your mother recorded, though. Your mother did all the housewife, home stuff, but she also recorded. David, but uh, my mother started recording uh, later on in her life. Right. She did not record when she was 20. Right. Because, you know, it was not the time. Right. Because of the family ties, because of social ties. She started recording when she was something like 40, you know, 45, Uh something like that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. She wasn't that young and... It was, the time was different, all, all these barriers, 
singing being a shameful vocation. Right, got it, got it, yeah. Were not existing anymore, yeah. so... Okay, so we never got to hear Vasca's mom. But then again, we heard... Through Vasca. Yeah, through Vasca, but I was going to say, her aunt, Bonda Dimishkova. Oh, right, right. That's she right. recorded, she had no problems recording. It was, you know, it was, it was about the family approach seeing this art of singing. It mostly depended on the husband. It sounds like it, yeah. Yes, yeah. if the husband had understanding for the music, any kind of barriers would, would have been removed. But surely Todor Boshkov knew his wife could sing. He must have heard her. Yes. But he didn't encourage her to record. He didn't pull her on like the stage like he did with Vasca. I mean, that just seems a shame. Well, looking now at uh, that now. Yeah. But this is happening, David, sometime 100 years ago. I know, but Banda Dimishkova's husband let her sing. It just seems, I just can't help but think that it's, it just seems a shame that uh, we never heard Vasco's mom. Banda Dimishkova was not married to Todor Boshkovsky or Christopher Ilievsky, Vasco's husband. Right. She was married to somebody else who had, you know, a broader view and understanding okay. of music, okay. of singing, of women. We do say some people who do not understand things, they are afraid of that thing. Right. And that makes wrong steps in their decisions. That's exactly with Kitsa Ilievsky. I, rem- I know him. I've met him a couple of oh, times. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, a couple of times. He brought Vaskeleva to Otsenikolov. She came to a touring with us to France, Dijon, the, the most famous festival, wine festival in, in France. And he was driving Vaska. And I was watching him because everybody knew how jealous uh, he was at Vaska. And I was watching him and I could, I could see that he was literally following every uh. movement with his eyes. And can you imagine a singer singing? But even though Vasca was facing this kind of jealousy, she could still sing. She could still sing. And boy, could she yeah, sing. Yeah, because she said, Queen Elizabeth and Churchill asked her, how can you adjust your voice to sound exactly like Gaida? We have the pipes in, in, uh, in Scotland, but the singers do not sing Exactly like the, and your voice blends with the gaida, your voice blends with that wood, wooden flute, meaning the kaval. Kaval, how do you do that? And she said, I just told them, I don't know, I'm not doing anything special, it's just something inside of me, which immediately switches, uh, switches on and comes out of me. Oh, that's so great. Do you know her father encouraged her to sing? Well, of course he did, because he's the one who took Vasca to... He actually, she said, you know, finally my father had mercy on me and came. Oh, okay. So there was a struggle, you think? If, of course, you know, because she was still a woman and the father was very patriarchal. Yeah, because he wouldn't let his own wife Exactly. Yeah. And finally she said, because seeing me in poverty... Oh, this was after she moved out? After she got married. After she got married. That's what I meant. Yeah. And they were poor, as I said right, before. Right, they were poor. And she, she said, he finally had mercy on me because of, you know, my, my poor life. And he said, okay, child, why don't you come, you know? Ah, uh, okay. So you met Vasca through the Dijon tour? 
That was the first. No, I had seen Alaska before, but I never had a, a personal visa vis contact. Yeah, yeah. The very first time was when she joined us to Dijon in uh, 1968. Oh, wow. Okay. And I even have a picture with Vasca being together next to each other, mm -hmm. standing at the presentation of the uh, folk dancing groups mm -hmm. joining the festival. So I was holding the Yugoslav flag at that time with Yugoslavia, and Vasca was standing next to me. And then later on, I met Vasca. I had a chance to talk to Vasca doing, you know, this TV program recordings and life appearances on television with Vasca. But mostly a while when we're doing re uh, these recordings, which were previously recorded for the special events, mostly like the New Year's Eve, when there was a lot of, you know, folk songs and singers being included. So during the breaks... And she always was embroidering. Oh, really? She, or knitting. Okay. And we would gather around Vasca. She was full of stories, man. She was full of stories. She had a story for any kind. She, she had a lot of life experience with all these different kinds of people from all over around the world. And she was happy. She was very happy to evoke all these memories of her life. And we enjoyed oh, very much. And she was a nice storyteller, man. She was not, you know, a very educated, uh, highly educated person. But she had this natural capability of putting the thoughts and choosing the right words to express mm -hmm. uh, the feeling capturing the right meaning, you know, and the st uh, strongest word to express the meaning of certain situations. Mm -hmm. So, and we talked a lot about that. So uh, once I, I mentioned this before, she was asked, Vasca, how many songs have you recorded so far? He said, you know what? I counted until 500 and then I stopped, you know, counting the, the songs. She did a lot of vinyl records. She did LPs, she did um, all over the world video uh, recordings. And for Radioscopia, I don't think they even know how many songs are there in their archive that she recorded. She was the most, the most recorded and most productive singer for the Macedonian folk music archive and, and anthology. So you met Vasca at your first recording session, and you also met her and talked with her during the Dijon Festival and probably other times. Did she ever talk to you about your singing, about how you sang? <laughs> um, David, uh, to be honest, I was not that famous at that time. I was not, you know, a singer of her level. And when she met me the very first time, I was, I was a dancer. Ah, she commented. She knew you as a dancer first. Yes. She commented uh, on my dancing. She said, have you ever thought of becoming a professional dancer? And the only, only professional dancers at that time were, you know, the dancers of Tanitz. So Vasca knew you first as a, as a dancer. Did she ever hear you sing? I mean, she heard me. Uh, singing in Dijon, 
Yeah, but uh, we were so busy in Dijon, David. That that festival is it's a very very exhausting exhausting festival. You have during the daytime probably five or six different performances at different places. And we had no time, you know, to communicate a lot and much among ourselves. So we were just, you know, dancing, singing, performing. All of the folk ensembles participating uh, on that festival uh, were uh, competing for winning the Collier d'Or, which is gold necklace, and Disc d'Or, which is gold record for singing and music. And the year before, Macedonia, Yugoslavia at that time, which was ensemble from Skopje, won the first place. And we were kind of putting extra force to remain, you know, to keep, you know, that prize. Being the winners, we were the most engaged group because people wanted to see us at the parade, which was opening the festival. We were the first one. Yeah. Going to the uh, to the restaurant where everybody was uh, dining. The dining would start when the winners of the previous year arrived. Uh-huh. So we didn't have much time. Right. But afterward, when you had recorded for Radio Skopje and she was still alive, you two never crossed paths or talked about songs or singing or your mother or anything like that? No, no, not okay. really. No, it was most like, you know, Ampasan singing or during the recording, which there was not much of time. Or if there was, you know, probably 10, 15 minutes and in 10, 15 minutes, you know, you do not get uh, into a deep conversation. Right. And if there was a longer one, uh, then besides me, there would be a, other people kind of joining yeah, in the group. And everybody, you know, is asking different questions, yeah. something, you know, which is unknown for Vasca. And no, I never had a chance uh, to to approach Vasca on a personal, private conversation uh, and exchange, you know, my opinion, her opinion. It was mostly general, general or listening to her stories. What you said that she went around um, and would talk to people and was very comfortable with people and people were comfortable with her. When people would sing for her and she learned the song from them, when she sang it afterward, maybe recorded it, did she sing in the style of that area of the country or that village? Yes. Not in her own Vasca style. She sang, she tried to replicate the the dialect, the, the scales, the, the manner of singing of the people that she learned from. Is that correct? That, that's exactly what it was uh-huh. with Vasca. She would get a song from a certain area yeah. and she would put all of her own approach and understanding and originality of the song into that song. And that's why every song she recorded sounded like a new style, like a new song, like something which is different from all previous recordings. Like uh, the song Mos Mitzida Devet Maestori. The very 
first recording, I was present in the studio when she recorded. When I did the, my very first trial recording for Radio Skopje, I was on the same day when Vaska was recording with uh, Narodni Instrumenti Peces. It's not Peces, but everybody knows that orchestra is Peces Orchestra in the studio. And I was waiting out in the recording room for her, you know, session to be finished so I can go into the studio. And she recorded the song in Krato dialect. It's about a legend from the city of Kratovo, which is Eastern Macedonia. Later on, when the song became very popular, for some reason... I don't know why she was asked to change a word here and there from a dialect to into a vernacular Macedonian language. Mm-hmm. So she has both recordings, actually, the original and this newly oh, so she recorded. Re- she re-recorded it. Yeah, then. she re-recorded okay. the, the song. Yeah, And then, you know, she added uh, the harmony and the song, which came out very, 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 very nice and And people loved that, you know, version of the song. The very first one was recorded with Kaval and Tamburi, but the second one was recorded uh, classical music uh, instruments. Uh-huh. So she actually did take these songs, reproduce the dialect closely as she was able, but also infuse them with her own artistry. And so people heard this song, it was almost like a, a new song for them. Yeah, with you said her own artistry, that's exactly what makes Vaska Vaska. Mm-hmm. As I said just a few minutes ago, she always puts something new in the interpretation, which distinguished the song from the previous recordings. Another the same song, of other songs that she recorded. Oh, I see. She even sounded different from herself. Exactly. Like if you hear Vaska with Narodni Instrumenti, which is Gaval Gaida, Tambure. You hear one Vaska. If you hear Vaska with Chalgia, you can tell immediately it's a different approach, different expression, a different color of the voice. And if you hear Vaska with uh, classical instruments, that's another third Vaska. Amazing. And she taught all her, this is all by herself. Yeah. So why do you think I said... I was amazed by Vaska Ilieva. She was not just a singer. She was an artist who put the soul, all that an artist can possess in themselves, You've been listening to Macedonian Postcards brought to you by izvormusic.com. Слушавте македонска разгледница, представено от izvormusic.com. We're your hosts, David Belidis и Драги Спасовски. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Благодарим, че бяхте с нас и до слушания.